you should see about uh, a third of your deals lost according to price. And if it's, if it's below that, like you're probably uh, priced too low, um, you should be seeing some pushback on pricing. Um, you know, if customers actively tell you how cheap you are, you know, if you have demonstrable proof that you create a really good ROI, if you haven't touched pricing for a couple of years, it's probably, those are all probably really good reasons for you to, to, to go forward. Hello everyone. Welcome to the B2B SaaS podcast. I'm your host, Upendra Varma. And today we have Dan Balkowski with us. Hey Dan, welcome to the show. Good to be here, Pedro. I'm excited for our conversation. Thank you for having me. All right, Dan. So let's try to understand how you, you know, help B2B SaaS companies, right? What, what, what's your company product tranquility do and wh- yeah, how well, it helps companies? Yeah, well, product tranquility, we help mostly high volume B2B SaaS CEOs define pricing and packaging for new and even optimize pricing and packaging for existing products. And so customers will come to us to help with a couple of different things, pricing and monetization in general tends to be one of these things where if it isn't broke, they don't fix it. And so the areas where folks will come to us for help is when it tends to break. And that tends to happen in a few different cases. Uh, One uh, might be what we're seeing now in this new monetary inflation regime where it's getting the attention of a lot of CFOs specifically. Uh, Not only is their funding and bird rate going down, but then they're looking at their own cost of inputs, both uh, infrastructure and labor going up. Another big thing is when these startups grow and they start to see that they're outgrowing their existing customer segments and their existing pricing and packaging approaches don't work for those uh, segments. Uh, And then this will manifest itself also in either organic or inorganic product expansion. So you can imagine if a software company acquires another firm and tries to roll up you know, either the second product or now it becomes one among many portfolio products. It can really make a go-to-market team's head spin if they're talking to sales, is talking to a customer or prospect, explaining you know, the value of a product and, and how it's priced, and then you know, potentially brings another product in the portfolio into the deal and has to do a 180 and start explaining, oh, this works entirely differently. Here you go. And so that can cause all sorts of friction. So this is a kind of the reasons that, that we see that companies come to us. Um, oh, the big thing we've been seeing recently as well is how, especially with the macroeconomic conditions, it looks like we're unfortunately heading into a recession. Hopefully it won't be too severe. Predicting the future is always risky. But what we're seeing already is a lot of companies who were benefited in the last, say, 24 months by economic tailwinds, for example, let's say your pricing metric, the unit of value you charge customer for is based on seats. A lot of people, especially other pricing experts, will rail against how seats is terrible, but you know it, it is still pretty much the standard, so we could have a deeper discussion on that. But just in general, if you price on seats, well, that works really well as a tailwind for your business when everyone's growing headcount. You know, your sales force selling a CRM and everyone's adding sales folks to their, uh, you know, you don't have to do anything as, as a go-to-market team. You're, you're, uh, I mean, obviously those folks are working very hard. I'm not saying they're sitting around on their, on their, uh, resting on their hands, but the idea is that you know, with or without you doing much, those existing accounts are going to be adding uh, capability and adding consumption. Well, those head, those tailwinds have turned into headwinds now. And so we're seeing folks who you know they've their customers are going in the opposite direction in headcount, unfortunately, and you know I have a lot of friends who are affected by that. And but you know my clients are also affected by that, where you know and they've added a lot of value in the intervening months and years, where 
they're all, they built capabilities into their products to help their customers do more with less, but never actually monetize that. And so they're they're hit with this double whammy where now they're starting to see you know overall slowing growth, but then the way their pricing packaging model has has set them up to. I want to understand a bit more about your customer base. So just help me understand what what sort of clients do you work with, right? How big are they, right? So what sort of revenue are they doing, or how many employees have they got? Right? Just help us understand that you know client profile of yours before we sort of yeah, dive yeah. into that. Yeah, generally, uh, the B2B SaaS uh, companies, more in a high volume or product-led growth approach, um, ideally sort of in the 20 to 50 million in revenue AR uh, range. Uh, I have worked with companies outside of that, though. Got it. Right. So so exactly, just what, like, can you just pick one of your recent examples, right? Where one, of your, one of your recent clients, right? Just help us understand, right? The, the moment they came to you, right? What exactly did you do, right? How exactly did you sort of, you know, change the positioning or pricing in such a way that, you know, it ended up, you know, uh, doing something good for them, right? So just walk us through one of the examples because that would be very helpful. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this could get really far into the weeds. So, you know, maybe maybe it will help sort of at a, at a very high level to understand sort of where pricing fits in mm-hmm. because there's a lot of different elements of the, the work that, you know, we do. Uh, and, you know, if we talk about the details of specific projects, I feel like we could really get lost in the forest for the trees. So, you know, at a very high level, you know, pricing is a function of your company and marketing strategy. And so it really needs to support that. And one of the things I've found over and over again is that uh, many pricing problems turn out to not be pricing problems. What what will happen in a lot of scenarios is that I will unintentionally, because it requires, good pricing requires this, I will dig up skeletons in the closet of bad company strategy, the things that haven't been really decided. And so, you know, at a, high, at a very high level, you know, what I usually see is companies face you know, four really significant uh, challenges uh, when they try to tackle pricing. And the first is they have an unclear target customer profile. They don't understand what customers are serving. They have a poor understanding of how they create customer value. They're unclear about their product's unique differentiation. And finally, they have a general underappreciation for the depth decisions that go into a strong pricing and packaging approach. So we tend to think about pricing as a decision mainly around price level, and we neglect many other factors. So when I work with clients, I have built a model called the services or SVCS model for SaaS pricing. It's SVCS stands for the four components of the model. I promise I didn't plan it that way. It happened by accident. But the four components are segments, value, competition, and strategy. And so we always will start at this, you know, going back to your question, like I'll always start with clients on do they have well-defined customer segments? Because you do not price your product for everyone. You do not try to serve everyone. And this is a number one thing I see that people immediately get wrong. Um, and the context your customers are in is critical. Because that'll dictate the constraints they're facing and which value drivers they view as most important. So that leads us to the second part, which is you know, each segment will rank order value drivers differently, which will cause them to value your product differently. And the third part of the model is competition. The different segments have different competitive alternatives available to them. Like what would they use if your company didn't exist? So we think of those three elements as our inputs to the overall pricing process because your pricing power really comes from the differentiated value you create for a particular segment beyond competitive alternatives available. So when I work with clients, you know, this, this applies to the, the last 10 I've worked with, you know, it's not just specific to one, but it's really helping them get clear on those as sort of fundamental building blocks. 
um, you know, again, a lot of folks like to think about very sort of what we call last mile aspects of pricing, which is like, oh, should our prices end in nines or should they, you know, or should they end in zeros? It's like, okay, well, that's, those are fun conversations and they can have an impact. But if you're focused on that, you're really looking at the, the wrong end of the stick uh, to start with. All right. So Dan, so I've got a question here, right? So let's just say I'm like, I'm like under 10 million or 10 million, $10 million in ARR, right? So is pricing that big a deal for me? I mean, what I could just do is, okay, I just could look at my competition, look at their per se pricing, right? Maybe look at the pricing that they have for typical add-on features and all of it. Isn't it a simple thing for me to worry about? Or should is is there something that I'm missing out here? Especially when I'm, you know, you know, under $10 million or something like that. Yeah, so it's a great question. And um, I, I think it's, I think you're on to something. So I will actually tell companies that are under 10 million ARR uh, pretty much that. It's like they've got, if you think about you know the, the model I just outlined, right? A lot of it comes down to understanding what is the, the value and specifically the differentiated value you provide for specifically groups of customers. And, and companies that are at the scale that you mentioned they're still really on a value journey. Like they're still really trying to figure out like, what is the problem we're solving? Like, is there a market here? What is the, and trying to create a repeatable model that they can go and find customers with that problem and, and you know, actually deliver any value. And so monetizing that value, it just, at that scale, it really has to be good enough that it's not significantly getting in the way, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be amazing. Does that help? Yeah, exactly. And when exactly does it really start mattering? And when does it really have an impact, right? Let's say I've hit 20, 30 million dollars. Should I really rethink my pricing? And if yes, why? Why can't I just follow the same strategy? Why can't I just look at my competitors and just come up with a simple strategy? Why is it so tough? Why do I need an expert like you to bring in and, you know, sort of you know deal with all of these things? Yeah, it's a great question. So the I'll take it. There's two two very different questions there. So let me take the first one first. So yeah, when you hit sort of that 20 million ARR mark, um, you know, there's a few different things that have happened, right? You've 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 got to a point of scale that there's you know, there's, there's enough hands in the business where you know it's not purely about just chasing the next dollar of of revenue, right? Things do tend to get a little bit more uh, strategic, right? Where before that. It's like, well, if it's not about you know next month's sales numbers, like I I can't really <laughs> pick my head up to think about anything else. So the and not to say that companies as they hit that point don't have you know a ton of problems that yeah. demand daily attention. Um, but it it does tend to have a little bit more of a ability to be like, okay, what do we really need to get to our next stage of growth? And the the impact you know really is clear at that point. At that point, you you sort of have a hopefully have a clearly defined customer segment that you're going after the, you understand the value. And now it's a matter of like, there's a lot more options available to you to really use that as a, a lever to drive uh, increased growth. And, you know, I've seen tons of benchmarks and I've seen different results from clients. Uh, they could be, you know, I think the, the standard would be uh, accelerating 20% uh, ARR, you know, easily sort of on a sustained basis. Um, but I mean, if you really sort of nail it, I mean, it can be multiples of your ARR acceleration from a, from a price change. So at that point, it just, it's, it's pretty much a no brainer to, to make those changes. Um, so should you just increase the prices at that point? Is that it? 
Well, so this goes back to my previous point, which is I think people get really enamored with pricing and packaging where they focus purely on the price level. So there's so much more to uh, pricing and packaging than just the price level. Again, is it should it be $19 a user or you know $99 a user or $29.95? Those are fun, interesting conversations, but they're sort of if we especially think about a B2B scenario, those are ultimately the it's the easiest thing to change. What tends to be much uh, more important is the elements of packaging. So packaging is really like it has four components in a SaaS world. So it's your price metric, the unit value you charge customers for. So that could be you know, seats or API transactions or amount of data stored or transferred. Uh, you've got your price model. So is it a perpetual transaction? Is it a uh, subscription? Is it a pay-as-you-go utility-based billing model? Is it hybrid model, which is uh, very uh, popular these days? Um, is it your offer configurations? Uh, usually in terms of we see good, better, best. And um, I believe it's you know about 70% of SaaS companies uh, use some type of good, better, best uh, package uh, offer configurations mm-hmm. these days. Um, and then finally, your, your uh, price structure, price fences. So this is how do we give two different two different customers? How do we charge them different prices for respectively the same product? And we see this all the time in in a B two C context. Like if I go to a a matinee showing of a movie at the movie theater versus the evening show, right? That's based on time. We have a similar thing. If you call the salesperson at the first day of the quarter versus the last day of the quarter, you're probably going to get a different yeah. discount offered to you to close the deal. Um, and you know, there's others based on on time and, and volume as well. So. Those four elements, right, along with price price level, uh, you know, this is where the multidimensional nature of it really gets complex. And this is where, yeah, I think I've been thinking about recently is that it's really difficult for companies to drive this conversation internally. So going back to your other uh, mm-hmm. comment of like, well, why do they? Why would they need someone from the external to help you? I I wish there was it. I it, 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 I mean, I, I'm I'm all about trying to educate people on this. I feel like. It'd be like trying to describe or paint a sunset if you only had the language of primary colors. Like when people only think about pricing in terms of price level, it really limits the ability of a CEO to drive a uh, a really in-depth, practical uh, and beneficial conversation around pricing and packaging because then it just it's like no negotiation you should ever make one dimensional, right? There's always there's always multiple things you could you could offer, right? I you know, yeah, talking to the car salesman, right? He's saying, well, you know, car's twenty thousand, right? I want it for eighteen, right? It's like, well, you know, you could throw in the the rust coating and the you know, I want the extra, you know, the the heated seats, right? You you want to make the, these multi dimensional, and I really feel people do themselves a disservice when they don't really understand all the elements that it's that it's not it. that simple as i i might have thought of thought of it right so it, it's way too complicated given the number the sort of models and data points in there right so yeah got it so so one question dan that i typically hear from founders right especially you know under 10 million dollars or so right so they want to increase prices because they they see that their product really adds that value right but they're worried because they've got tons of customers already out there they're worried that they might lose all of those customers, right? So how does one go about, you know, executing this price increase, right? So how does a founder think about it? And how does a founder execute it without actually, you know, sort of taking a big hit? Yeah, so I think one of the things that really I work with executive teams front and center to get aligned on is what is the goal that you're trying to achieve? Because you know, there's you know, many goals floating around a company. And unfortunately, if all the executives are have different goals in mind, whether that's customer lifetime value or decreasing customer acquisition costs or increasing ARR or increasing profitability, 
generally I will push people that a good price uh, maximizes long-term profitability. That's like a, a proper pricing goal, but you know, you may be at a different stage where you have a different North star uh, that's more appropriate. Uh, you know, and it doesn't matter. Like we could bring back the best pricing study in the world. If people aren't aligned on the goal, all they're going to do is attack the data that you bring. So getting people aligned on what are we trying to achieve first before you go to any research is super, is huge. So I think, you know, to give you more tactical, I think two things that founders need to really evaluate for any pricing decision, like what is the difference in expected revenue and what is the difference in costs incurred? So costs could be like you're losing customers due to churn or could be costs incurred because, hey, we're trying to go do uh, willingness to pay studies, right? And those are going to cost things. And we have uh, engineering has to change entitlements and our subscription management system needs to get updated, right? So those are going to be all costs, right? And then you're going to have some idea of, hey, what is expected revenue? And, and, you know, just the level of, for better or worse, I just don't, I tend to not see at least even that level of business case uh, done of how, where are we, what do we think things uh, expect to change? And one thing I, I've seen, uh, I saw a stat on this is like over 50% of SaaS companies have never tested or piloted pricing and 13% have only done it once. Um, and, you know, 6% have only ever actually done pricing research on buyer needs and willingness to pay. So, you know, if you want to go down this path, like first, you know, again, assess whether or not uh, your your goals are in line, what you're trying to achieve, what you think your expectations might be. And then, you know, a couple of things like I wouldn't just blindly write, raise prices. I, I wrote a, a really extensive blog post on you know, pricing during inflation. You know, overall, like it might be a good time to raise prices if generally you don't see pushback on pricing. Um, there's good rule of thumb that if you're, you should see about uh, a third of your deals lost according to price. And if it's, if it's below that, like you're probably uh, priced too low, um, you should be seeing some pushback on pricing. Um, you know, if customers actively tell you how cheap you are, you know, if you have demonstrable proof that you create a really good ROI, if you haven't touched pricing for a couple of years, it's probably, those are all probably really good reasons for you to, to, to go forward. Um, and, you know, so, so then it's a matter of, you know, is there, what is the risk appetite of companies? And I see this really in dramatic fashion from client to client where companies, different CEOs, some CEOs are just cowboy, whatever, like we'll just make the change and we'll see what happens. And some people are like, no, we need, you know, this, this data. We want this, you know, we want our FP&A team to model it to the nth degree. We want all these scenarios. Uh, and then we're going to inch, you know, prices forward, you know, over time. Um, there's a lot of different elements of this. And so it really, a lot of it is, is cultural depending on the risk tolerance of the, of the company. Um, but, you know, generally it's a, a good idea to, you know, plan through announcements and timelines for changes well in advance. Um, new and existing customer price changes can be different. Uh, like, you know, if, if I change the price just for new customers, that's, in certain sense, it's not really a price change because like those people didn't know what the price necessarily was before. Um, so, so you could handle that very differently. Um, and you know, depending upon the level, right, there's ways where you can, you could do a whole bunch of things with packaging, but you know, one, uh, if you're, if you realize, like, say you go through a pricing study, you realize like we're three X below where we should be in a market. And you don't want to make that jump in one go you can plan, you know, sequences of, of price hikes. So uh, generally a, a rule of thumb, you know, can be like, like don't increase more than 50% in a year. 
but you know, and then there's there's a whole other discussion of you know, should you grandfather people or along? Dan, so if if I'm a founder, right, and if my not start at this point of my company is to just you know grow my top line, right, just increase that ARR metric. Do you really think you know thinking and spending time on pricing is going to help me reach that goal? If that happens, I think everybody is going to do that. But for some reason, people believe that might not be happening, right? So, I mean, why why should I touch pricing? Maybe that will end up you know losing. I I might end up losing a bunch of customers, and then it's going to hit back a lot of things, right? So, is there any direct correlation between you know sort of thinking about the whole pricing and you know your top line growth? If that happens, then maybe people will start caring about it. So, do you think there's a correlation there? Yeah, I mean, pricing is probably the most high leverage thing you could do to grow your company. Uh, the It's a, always a big mystery for me. I have hypotheses why it people don't touch it. I think number one is it's very difficult for managers to see opportunity cost. So if I have an AWS bill that comes every month and I see how much that's growing, it's like, oh my God, I got to have my VP of engineering take a look at this and get our infrastructure costs down. But if you're supposed to be selling your your product for $100 a seat, instead you're selling it for 10, that $90 doesn't appear on your P&L anywhere. It's just gone. And so it's out of sight, out of mind. And so I think that's maybe one of the mindsets that you know I'd like to see change. And I think also, you know, look, pricing is an art and a science, but it's much more of a science. And you think there's a lot of risk. Of course, you're not going to touch it, but there's ways to uh, approach all of those elements. I think it's, it is hard to, to sort of, you know, quantify that impact that I'm going to you know, take as a company when I sort of increase the prices, right? For example, if I'm just saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to increase per seat pricing by just $50, it's easy to say, okay, if my number of n- number of customers are going to remain the same, my, you know, overall revenue is going to increase by 50%, but I'm not sure how many of those customers are going to go back, right? How many of them are going to churn out, right? So how do I even calculate that number or how do I even estimate that number, right? Because I think that's where people are struggling with it, really. Because if, if you can't give me that number, why would I not ch- increase the prices, right? It's pretty obvious for everybody. But because doing that is very hard because, you know, you'll have to deal with, you know, real customers churning out, right? So how does a founder sort of deal with this? Because that, I believe, is the biggest and the trickiest problem. Yeah, I mean, look, the the methods of decision analysis are not, you know, solely the uh, forum of pricing people, right? I mean, if uh, any major public company CEO, you know, if they're if I'm the CEO of Intel and I have to decide, am I going to spend $10 billion on a fab? Right. There's a lot of things I have to understand to know if that's a good investment. Right. So, look, you know, there's there's elements you can get to with a spreadsheet and good FP&A teams. Right. There's elements you can get to with really good uh, market data. Uh, right. Marketing research uh, that we can add to that. Um, and there's elements that, you know, the it's very rare that the executives in a company don't know anything. I think this is the number one thing I see with measurement problems is people are like, well, it's so ambiguous, I just give up, right? And it's like, well, no, you have a sense. You have a sense because you, you've you've made changes in the past and you've seen how customers react, right? Uh, and we haven't really talked, I know we, we're running out of time, but you know, in terms of even like rollouts of changes, right? And this is affecting both messaging and, 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 and to a sense the magnitude of, of changes that you might have, like you can do targeted rollouts, right? Say by geo, right? Where it's like, oh, we're going to roll this out in only, you know, a part of North America, right? Versus mm-hmm. worldwide. Or we're going to notify a segment of customers who we're pretty sure are happy with us, right? Either because their NPS scores or their usage metrics, et cetera, right? And we're going to even drip out our announcements to them. And we're going to test how many angry emails our support staff gets 
right? And like, but again, right, like you would approach A-B testing, hypothesize, what do we think is the worst case would happen? And what would be okay if like, because look, every time you touch pricing, even if it's to lower pricing, you will get people to churn, right? Because it's it's forcing people to, to become aware of like, oh, we have the service. Do we really need this, right? It doesn't necessarily relate to the magnitude or the fact that you increase prices at all. So there are ways to go about this. And I know we're running out of time, but- Yeah, I think testing at a smaller scale is the key that you're sort of getting at, right? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. All right, Dan, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. It's it's a wonderful conversation on the whole SaaS pricing. Thank you. Thank you for having me and hopefully it's valuable for your listeners. Thanks for watching the B2B SaaS podcast channel. I believe that the best way of building SaaS companies is by regularly talking to real founders who are out there building their companies. These founders have gained tons of insights during their journey and I'm here to bring those to you. So if you want more such stuff, please make sure to subscribe to the channel here.